Well, thank you. Uh, it, is, it is interesting that when I travel in various places away from my home church and speak, uh, that the cowboys get mentioned in the introduction. And so, love them or hate them, and it's hate them here, I understand, but love them or hate them, uh, you can't ignore them. That is the truth. And so, uh, I'm, I, I will identify with them, but only briefly, because I'd like to get to the Word of God. Uh, it is great to be with you uh, as well, and I, I have a deep respect for uh, Keith as well, and this isn't just payback. You say something nice, now I'm going to say something nice, but uh, I have deep respect for you as well, and I've wanted to come here really to learn. Um, and uh, I wasn't planning on coming to speak, but I wanted to come and learn from you guys, so it's really been a benefit. Uh, yesterday, we were just driving back from the retreat center, and I'm just peppering uh, Keith with questions about leadership and uh, ministry and various things that he's doing because uh, I have a, a ton to learn from you. So you're, you're just a great example to me, and your church is a great example. To walk on your building, this campus, and see what God has raised uh, out of uh, devastation, what God literally has raised up out of, uh, out of devastation is wonderful to see the hand of the Lord on you. And I'm not just talking about a building, but I'm talking about a people being raised together. So it is a joy to be with you. And I had a wonderful time. I was with your leaders on uh, Friday night and Saturday. And uh, I think you can tell a lot about a church and uh, what God's going to do in a church by being exposed to those who serve in leadership. And what you are blessed with tremendous a tremendous group of uh, small group leaders and others. So I just had a wonderful time with them. They're so um, accommodating and hospitable and gracious and leaning in, wanting to learn and serve you uh, and ultimately serve the Lord. So it was great to be with the leaders as well, and I just anticipate God's going to continue to renew them and uh, do wonderful things in you as a people. This morning I'd like to talk from uh, James chapter 1. I want to preach from James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and this will be a very simple message. It will not be complex. Uh, there will be no sleight of hand. Everything I'm going to say will just be following uh, this text because uh, it's a very clear text, um, but there's a lot, lot to be mined out of it, I, uh, I trust. And I want to say a little bit about James before we jump in to James chapter 1 because the passage we're about to look at uh, really highlights the heart of the letter of James, if you're familiar with this book. James, his overriding concern for the people he's writing to is this. It, it is uh, his calling people to an applied Christianity. He is calling his readers to an applied Christianity, that Christianity is something that works on the ground, that Christianity is something that has wheels on it, that Christianity is something that's not just a philosophical set of beliefs, but it is a truth, a truths that transform lives. And so in this letter, he is talking about the, the importance of genuine authentic Christianity, that Christianity is not just agreeing with some facts about Jesus. Now, it is agreeing with facts about Jesus. It's not less than that, but it's much more. It's not just agreeing with facts about Jesus because James is going to famously say in chapter 2 that even the demons believe. He's going to say it in, in sort of a way, hey, don't pat yourself on the back because you believe in Jesus. Demons do that, that you just intellectually agree with facts about Jesus doesn't make one a Christian, but ultimately it is faith in Jesus, a heart faith that has to do with bending the knee to his lordship, that it is, that it is Jesus working in our lives, that he's, he's trying to say this to them, that the person who is genuinely converted, who has genuine faith in Christ, that that will show up in their life, maybe very gradually over the long haul, but it will show up in their lives, that you will be able to identify genuine faith in a person's life because it bears some kind of genuine fruit in their life. His point is that the person who merely has a profession of faith without any evidence of faith should be concerned. The person who has a profession of faith without any evidence that Jesus is changing them should be concerned about, is their profession genuine? Uh, put in more theological terms, justification will lead to progress in sanctification. 
that if we have been declared right with God by faith in Jesus, then our lives, and it may be very slow, and it may be up and down, and it may be a journey that's not consistent, but it is up and down. It may be that for sure, but that our lives over the long haul, we will become conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And so here he's going to talk about how that life change takes place. And it takes place by being a hearer and a doer of God's word. So let me read from chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. And we're going to concentrate on 22 to 25, but I'm going to read the verses before as well. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In today's primary verses, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today and we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask that you would show us the Savior, Jesus Christ, and his glory. We pray that you would show us uh, the work of the gospel, Jesus' death and resurrection, and how that applies to us today. And Lord, we pray that you would stir our hearts with faith to be changed by grace. We pray that by looking to you, we would be changed, and we pray that by hearing you and responding, we would be changed. Lord, we don't want to gather for a meeting and hear some kind of an interesting lecture today, but we want to encounter you by the Spirit. And Lord, we want to pray a bold prayer. We ask that you would correct us and adjust us when necess where necessary, and we pray that you would give us grace to repent and turn to you afresh, and we pray that you would draw us into tremendous freedom in you. So Lord, Spirit of God, come and speak through your word and encourage and edify us in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, he's talking about hearing things about God, or we could say reading as well, reading the scripture, hearing the scripture taught. He's talking about hearing God's word and applying it and acting. And I think this is such a relevant passage for us, relevant for me, relevant for all of us in this culture, because we are inundated with information. And we are inundated with Christian information. You don't have to look far at all to find podcasts, books, teaching, uh, things about God on social media. We, we encounter truths about God all the time. They show up in 140 characters on Twitter, truths about God, then somebody's Facebook post, what they learned from the Bible or whatever. People, we're just encountering truth about God all the time. And, and the challenge is, because we're inundated with so much information, we have a very high tolerance for gathering information and doing nothing about it. We have a very high tolerance for hearing things about God and never even considering application. Just, oh, there's one more truth about God. There's one more thing to know about Jesus. There's one more verse from the Bible that someone's quoting to me. So it's so easy for us to be, just to receive an avalanche of information and not really think about how we should apply it. And that's what this passage is about. It's about hearing and the danger in hearing without responding. Chuck Swindoll, who happens to pastor in our town, uh, Frisco, he, uh, he wrote a, an illustration about hearing information and responding years ago. Now, I've edited it a little bit because I think it was written in the 70s, so I've like removed references to disco so that people would be able to follow. Actually, there's a reference in there. Younger people won't even know what we're talking about, but... Uh, 
Thank God you were spared that. But uh, we're, uh, I, I want to read his story and let you know ahead of time that I've taken liberty to update it a bit. But this is what he says. Let's pretend that you work for me. Uh, in fact, you are my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner of the company, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. And so to pull this off, I make plans to travel abroad and uh, stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family in the move to Europe for six to eight months. And I leave you in charge of our busy stateside organization. So you get it. He's going to go open a branch in Europe, and he's going to leave you in charge to run the operation here. I tell you that I will write you regularly and give you directions and instructions. I leave and you stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe prior to email, but letters work well here. So he's sending letters to the home office, uh, the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations, and finally I return. Soon after my arrival, I drive down to the office, and I am stunned. Grass and weeds have grown up high around the office. A few windows along the street are broken. I walk into the receptionist's room. She's doing her nails and watching Netflix at her desk. I look around and notice that the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed in weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. I ask for you, and someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and says, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you are finishing playing a video game with one of the sales managers. I ask you to step into my office, which has been turned into a TV room for watching daytime television. What in the world is going on, I ask. What do you mean, you say? Well, look at this place. I mean, didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, yeah. We got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we have a letter study every Friday night since you have left. We even divide all the personnel into small groups and we discuss many of the things you wrote in those letters. They were so interesting. You're gonna be pleased to know that we have actually committed to memory a sentence and sometimes even a paragraph out of some of your letters. And there's one or two employees that have committed an entire letter to memory. Okay, okay, you got my letters, you studied them, you discussed them, you memorized them, but what did you do about them? Do? Uh, we didn't do anything about them. It's a telling illustration, isn't it? Not hard to find what his point is. It's that it is, uh, it is easy to hear without applying. And though that's terrible in a work environment, it can have eternal consequences when we're talking about the Word of God because James calls us to be hearers and doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. And that's the first point. First point is hearing without doing leads to deception. Look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, he starts with the word doers. Be doers and not hearers only. Now, in the order of the way things would occur, you would have to hear before you can do. But he starts with doers because that is the theme of the verse and in many ways the theme of the book overall. He, he previously has told the readers to be good listeners. Verse 19, he said, be quick to hear. So he's concerned about hearing. He's concerned that uh, God is concerned that we would be those who are quick, ready, agile with our hearing. But here he starts with doing because the theme of this passage is applying God's word. It's obeying God's word. James is making a contrast here. And he's not, he's not contrasting hearing versus not hearing. He's not contrasting being a good hearer versus being a poor hearer, one who listens versus one who doesn't listen. No, that's not his contrast. He's contrasting those who hear only 
versus those who hear and respond. That's the, con- the contrast he's making. Those who only hear God's word versus those who hear and respond to what God is saying. And he's saying that those who hear only will be deceived. Now, lest we just read that over too, too casually, uh, I find that provoking, maybe more than provoking. That is alarming. That God is saying that we can encounter the very truth of the word. The scripture is the God-breathed word. It is God's breathed out word to us. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is authoritative. It is completely true. And he's saying that we can encounter truth and walk away deceived. That's what he's saying. Now, nobody planned to come to church today and say, you know what, I I think I want to go to church. I'm, I'm looking forward to some deception. I'm really looking forward to personally being deceived today. Nobody, I loved uh, what was shared about the Bible Jam, reading the, reading the Bible. No one's going to enter into Bible Jam this summer and say, I can't wait to go through the reading plan this summer and just walk out three months more deceived than I currently am. It's going to be great. We're going to have a testimony next year about the deception that took place in my life from reading the Word. That's crazy talk, right? But that's exactly what he's saying. If we hear the Word of God or read the Word of God without responding to the word of God, we will be deceived. That it's actually possible, here's the idea, it's actually possible to be exposed to truth and walk out deceived. Not because God's word is deceptive, not because God's word intends to deceive us, but because we deceive ourselves by being hearers and not doers. Thomas Manton, a a Puritan, said, men are easily deceived into a good opinion of themselves by their bare hearing, B-A-R-E, their bare, naked, their naked hearing is what he's saying. We feel good about ourselves by our naked hearing of truth. What what, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that for me, it's very easy to have an increased knowledge of God, and assume that that means I have an increased maturity in God. That's where the deception plays in. That I think because I know a little bit more about God, because I heard the sermon, because I read the devotional, because whatever my encounter with God, I think that because I know a little bit more, that I am now more mature. And we, we equate learning about God with maturity in God. Now, you must learn about God to mature in God. Absolutely, we must learn more of God to mature in God. But merely learning information about God does not necessarily equate to maturity, but we feel like it does. We think that it does, and therein lies our self-deception. We can believe that because we've heard a sermon about Jesus or we read a passage about Jesus, we're now more like Jesus. We're now more like Jesus. Jesus. That's what we can imagine. Growth in knowledge without application does not equal growth in holiness, but growth in deception is what he is saying. Growth in deception. Knowledge can lead to, unapplied knowledge leads to pride. And pride is always deceptive, deceptive. Unapplied knowledge, when I gather knowledge about Christ, but I don't take any of it into my life. It just resides up here in my head or just resides in my ear. Or it's just seed that's scattered that doesn't take root at all. It just passes through one ear and out the other. That's because there's nothing in between. But uh, it passes in one ear and out the other. That, that is not maturity. That's what James is saying. That's his concern. And, and, and it's a dangerous it's a dangerous reality that he is alerting the readers to. It's, it's ultimately dangerous because it can mean that someone can be exposed to the truth of God and have a false assurance about their faith. Now, James is writing to Christians, but it's, it's also true, or he's, writing to, he's at least writing to church folk, some of which may not be Christians but are just church folk. Uh, but, but it's true, it's, it's especially true for people who may not even be a Christian, but assume they are because they know the right answers, because they, that they are familiar with the story. Many in our culture have heard the gospel at some point and have mentally agreed with the message, and so therefore assume that they are a Christian. Maybe they even attend church. But the Spirit of God has never entered into them and given them the new birth. 
They've never repented of sin and believed in faith, by faith alone in Jesus, trusted him for their salvation. They've merely acknowledged truth about God, but it's never taken root in their heart. They've never, there, there could be no life change. They could point to no life change whatsoever. It's not our works that save us. I'm not saying that at all. We are saved by faith alone, by trusting Jesus, turning from sin and trusting him. That is what conversion is. But the point is the genuinely converted person will have some evidence of that conversion in their life. They'll have some fruit. And oftentimes people say, I prayed a prayer in third grade at Vacation Bible School. This is how it works in Dallas, all over the place. There's cultural Christianity. I prayed a prayer. Grandma took me to Vacation Bible School. I prayed a prayer in third grade, and I'm set for life. Never made any difference in my life. Went through high school, college, lived like the devil, still live like the devil. But my security is I know about Jesus, and I prayed that prayer. And sometimes people who are in that environment, evangelism is undermining false assurance. It's to undermine false assurance. Maybe that's happening with someone in the room this morning. It's to undermine false assurance so that the person can see their real need for Jesus and can really be converted. Now, if you're really converted, I'm not here to mess with your, I'm not here to shake up your assurance at all. My, my goal isn't to make anybody walk out of here who's genuinely converted, uh, paranoid. That's not my goal at all. But there may be some of us that, that grew up in church and just made certain assumptions. You may be a young person, a high schooler, middle school, college age, a young person that you're here today. Your mom's a Christian. Your dad's a Christian. You've grown up in the environment. If we took a test about what it makes to be, means to be a Christian, you could answer. You'd get an A. You could explain it all. You may have even told somebody else about Jesus. You know it so well, you could explain it. The problem is he's not real to you. He's not real. You've never experienced a new birth. You have been a hearer, but you haven't responded to him, trusting him in faith. You've been a hearer and an assumer, and not a hearer and a believer. Now, this, again, is talking to Christians being a hearer and a doer, but it's possible that we can even have a false assurance because the Spirit has never really opened our eyes, the Spirit has never really come to reside in our hearts, and He is not changing us from the inside. It's just adopting certain behaviors that we see other people have, and we just sort of imitate what we see. This must be the church thing to do, so I'll do this, but it's not in my heart. That could be a sign of a person who's never really met Jesus. Now, it's not in my heart all the time either. And I'm a pastor, it's not the heart, my heart all the time. I don't wake up every morning springing out of bed, doing a Jesus dance around the house in worship, just thrilled, just thrilled. But, you know, I'm probably not going to sin at all today, maybe once or twice. That, I never have that day, okay? So I, I'm not saying that you sin or you're discouraged or you go through seasons saying, where is God? That's all over the Psalms. God, where are you? That Real believers ask that question. So I'm not trying to undermine anybody's true assurance here. So it's not that we sin or we have a bad day or a bad season, that doesn't mean, oh, maybe I'm not saved. It's just the person who says, my heart is not inclined towards him, not drawn to him, he's changing me. Then that person should come to Christ and really believe. And maybe that's you today. Maybe today's the day that the Lord's going to shake you out of a false assurance and wake you up and give you new life. And that's wonderful by believing in him alone as the one who died for your sins and rose to give you new life and then gave you his spirit to change you internally. But this message is ultimately aimed at Christians, so there's always a fair warning for all of us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. That's what the Bible says. But this is, don't be a person who hears without acting because you deceive yourself. Now, there's some of us who say, hey, I can never, I, I, I am not deceived about my status or my growth in the Lord. I'm not deceived about my maturity. You're really a Christian? They say, I'm not deceived about that. I don't know about this here endure, but I am I am sure I have an accurate representation of my maturity. There's no way I am deceived. But the problem is the nature of deception is that you're unaware of it. That's the problem with deception. If you know you're deceived, then you're not deceived. Deceived means I don't know that I am deceived. Deception presupposes unawareness. Because if I'm aware, I'm not deceived. So the problem when we say is I, if I'm a hearer and not a doer, I deceive myself and I think that I'm growing in the Lord. I think that I'm at a maturity level that I'm really not because I just feel good about things because I've heard a lot of good stuff and I know a lot of good stuff. 
Um, the problem is that we can all be deceived. I, I read this story. This happened, uh, actually happened in Iceland um, that I thought was so telling about deception. This is from CBS News. It says, a, a woman went missing in Iceland, this is in 2012, over the weekend, but she's now been reported safe and sound. She was found uh, by herself. According to the Reykjavik grapevine, I guess that's the newspaper up there, it says, the not-so-missing woman, a tourist, even participated in the intense police search over the weekend for herself. <laughs> near the Elja Canyon, uh, Canyon in the country's southern volcanic region. The mix-up apparently occur occurred when, during a sightseeing trip Saturday, the woman broke off from her tourist group and changed clothes. When she came back, it says, then she returned to the bus in a different outfit. The rest of her tourist group did not recognize her. Then when a description of the, quote, missing person was offered, Asian, woman, in dark clothing, and speaks English well, she didn't recognize the description of herself, so she began to assist others in the search. The Coast Guard was notified and was preparing a helicopter in the search. Hours later, around 3 a.m. Sunday, the search party finally realized that, alas, the woman they were looking for was with them all along, and the search was called off. That's brilliant journalism. We had to know that. And the search was called off. Uh, we, we, we figured that. Um, so anyway, chief, chief of police, I can't pronounce his name because uh, it's got vowels with dots over it. I don't know what this Icelandic name is. But this chief of police guy said that the woman simply didn't recognize the description of herself and, quote, had no idea she was missing, unquote. <laughs> I just read that. And I laugh, but I also go, yeah, that could be me. I could do that. I'm, yeah, I could see that. Um, but I just thought, that's the nature of deception. She's out. We're on a mission. we got to find this woman. Oh, I'm the woman. <laughs> she, she didn't realize. She didn't see herself in the description. She wasn't aware. She wasn't aware. And that is so easy for all of us because when we come to a meeting like this, a worship gathering, we can feel wonderful things during the singing. We can be moved by a powerful testimony like we just heard. We can be emotionally touched by a prayer. We can be stirred up by a message. We can hear wonderful things and agree with them intellectually and never realize what we're missing, the life change that comes when we apply what we heard and not merely hear what we heard. Now, this is the analogy James uses about this. Look at this in verse 23. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. You, by the way, are a very presentable uh, looking group of folks this morning. I travel some. This is a good-looking church. Everybody looks, I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about the people. Everybody looks put together this morning. But everybody didn't wake up the way you see them right now. And there's some people be terrified if you saw them the way they looked when they woke up this morning. But everybody looks pretty put together. So I'm assuming everybody looked in a mirror this morning. That's the illustration he uses. He says, if you're a hearer without a doer, not a doer, here's a parable, or probably better said, here's an analogy. It's like a guy who wakes up and looks intently at his natural face. He looks, but then he evidently does not act, and he forgets, and he goes into his day. But you didn't do that. You woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror, you assessed the damage that took place in the previous six to eight hours or whatever it was, uh, and then you went to work. And so you, if you're a guy, maybe you shaved or you washed your face, open water, you brushed your hair, put product in your hair, put makeup on ladies, whatever you did to get the way you look right now, uh, you, you addressed the issues. You took care of business and made some changes to your appearance. So nobody's here with bedhead and all that. Everybody looks good because you address the issue. This guy looks in the mirror and says, wow, my face does not look good. Uh, I, I, my, I, I need a shave. My hair is out of control. And he, he, hear, he looks at it all, and then he just walks up off, and he shows up to church 
looking bad. He shows up not having dealt with any of the issues, but he forgets about it. He assumes that just because he became aware there's a problem and saw something and walked off and didn't arrest it, that, that, that he's fine. But the reality is that he took no action and he immediately forgot what he looks like because he fails to act and then he forgets. And when he forgets, he becomes deceived because he walks into church or he walks into work just greeting everybody, assuming everything's okay and people are looking aghast and, whoa, he looks like he just woke up. He did. That's what he looks like when he just woke up. And so he's thinking, hey, people are, everything's fine, normal. He doesn't, he doesn't think anything about it. He's deceived into thinking, I look fine, when he took no personal care of himself whatsoever. That is the person who hears and doesn't respond to the voice of God in the scripture. James gives us a real earthy uh, uh, analogy that we could all relate to. Actually, we can relate to it more because I feel certain that people in our day do more to their appearance than people obviously in his day did, but you still get the point. So hearing without doing leads to deception. But here's the good news. Hearing and doing, second point, hearing and doing leads to blessing. He gives another scenario in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the, the person, this is an analogy, looks in the mirror, and he says, looks intently into the law of liberty. Looks intently. People in this day didn't have a mirror like we have. A mirror, 2,000 years ago, a mirror was probably polished brass, something that you would have looked in, and you could have detected yourself. You could have clearly known there was work to be done, but you, you couldn't have detected all of the details uh, that we can now. They sure ladies didn't have that magnifying mirror where every pore is like that big. <laughs> you certainly couldn't have seen anything like that. So to see yourself in the mirror would have required more of a gaze than we have. So the language is who, who looks, uh, 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 the one who looks into the perfect law of law of liberty and perseveres. It means the NIV translates it, looks and continues to look. There is a looking and a continuing careful looking into this law of liberty. The one who looks and the one who acts, being no hearer, it says not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. So he's kind of mixing acting and hearing and all. So he sees, he hears, and he acts. He doesn't walk off without doing anything. He doesn't read his Bible for his devotional without taking some action. He doesn't hear a sermon without having the Holy Spirit speak to him and the Holy Spirit show him and what that will look like in his life, and, and then act on that. He does, he, doesn't, he does that. He doesn't just forget about it. So here are the two patterns. One is the first man looks, he leaves, he forgets, he's deceived. That's been my Sunday sometimes. Listen, hear, moved emotionally, walked out, forget. If you asked me Tuesday afternoon what was the sermon about, I couldn't couldn't tell you any detail of personal application, and I may have preached it. <clears throat> the second category looks, continues to look, acts, is blessed in what he does. What's the blessing? Well, the blessing here is the, the life change, the, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the encountering of God, the intimacy with the Savior, the, 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 the changing of our hearts, even though it's a wrestling and a challenge sometimes, but the, the changing of our hearts so that we're maturing and becoming more like the Lord. That's what happens in that situation. Now, the mirror for the guy and the second guy who looks, he calls it the law of liberty, the law of liberty, it's, it's the, liberty means freedom, right? So it's the word of freedom. It's the message of freedom. And, and that is the gospel. It is the message of Christ that is the word, that we could say the law or the word of freedom, the word of liberty. So he looks into God's word and he, he finds a freeing message uh, 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 something that brings liberty to his soul, something that takes chains off of him, something that takes him out of slavery and into freedom, the law, the word, the good news, the message of freedom that reveals Jesus to us. 
So when he's looking, he's not only seeing the damage, but he's also seeing the liberty that comes. He's not only seeing the need for change, he's seeing the liberty that we meet in Jesus Christ as well. When we look into the Word, wherever we are looking, we ultimately encounter Christ. He's the one we're looking for in the Scripture. He's the one revealed in the Bible to us. We encounter Christ, and we are made more aware of what he has done for us, that we have been forgiven by his death his burial, his resurrection, his new life. We have been changed by him. He recognizes and sees that. He stares intently into this law of liberty, and it is freeing. So looking into the word of God and continuing to look, it brings conviction. Maybe you're even convicted as we're hearing this this morning, but the conviction is always the law of liberty. We're always to encounter Christ. We're always to be met with grace on the heels of conviction, which leads to life change. There's something very freeing about encountering Christ in the word of God and obeying and responding to him. I mean, which guy, take the, take the analogy in, its literal, in, a, in a literal sense, don't... Uh, not in an analogous sense, but in a literal sense, take the analogy. Which guy's experiencing freedom? The guy who wakes up, looks scary, shows up at your office on Monday morning looking scary. Is that guy free? Or is the one who wakes up, looks at it, assesses the damage, continues to look by grace, takes action, uh, f- presents himself, and shows up at the office in a presentable fashion? Who's freer? Who's got a better life? Don't ever believe that hearing and reading and applying the scripture is an enslaving process. It's the law of liberty. It's the only freedom is found is in the gospel and applying the word of God. This is not a bondage to be reading, hear and do the word. This is the pathway to freedom. This is the pathway to joy. The person who hears and does not act is deceived and does not experience genuine joy, genuine, a genuine encounter with Christ, a genuine fellowship with the Lord, a genuine changed life. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crashing anybody's parade with bad news today. I'm giving wonderfully good news. If the bad news is that you're a hearer and not a doer, the good news is you can be forgiven today. You can listen to the word of God today. You can apply what you're hearing today, and you can step into freedom through the law of liberty today. This is very, very good news to us. God wants to change us. God wants us to make progress in him. God wants us to grow. He wants to mature us by his grace. He wants to work in our lives and make us different. We are by definition disciples, and a disciple is a follower, a learner. A disciple is someone who's being changed all the time, and it's over the long haul. It's over the long haul. Have you ever seen one of those uh, graphs uh, maybe graphing the stock market. If you look back at like uh, even the Dow Jones, the Dow Jones average from, I don't know when the Dow Jones started, the 20s or the 30s, or I don't, I don't really know, sometime. But if you look at when it began to where it is now, you will see that the, the point where it began, the stock, uh, uh, you know, reading the stock market averages to where it is now, it's like this. There's this huge difference. But along the way, it went like that, and wow, here was a crash, and then it came up, and then, whoa, this tremendous year, everybody made a ton of money, and then, oh, it's back down, and then it was level for five. So it's, it's this, it's a, it's a zigzag deal, but over time, it went from here to here, and that's the Christian life as well, that the Lord holds us, that we may have our ups and downs, but he is progressing us over time, so that there's areas of our lives we're different than we were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, some of you have been Christians 40 years, 50 years God is maturing us, and the pathway for that is encountering him in the scripture by grace being looking and continuing to look, being convicted where he's speaking to us, and uh, and turning from sin and receiving his power as he changes, as gives us new desires and conforms us to his image. And ultimately, that's a sign of genuine Christianity, a person who hears and does, as opposed to to just starting here and never really progressing very much or progressing very slowly. Because we think we're up here, we think we've had that chart because we've gotten a lot more facts over the years. It's just it hasn't been rooted into our hearts and our lives. We haven't been changed by it because it just went in one ear and out the other. We're just familiar sort of at a surface level but not really encountering God. And how do we encounter him? By hearing and by doing. 
So let me give you two points to close about application. This whole sermon's on application. So this is about an application about application. This is like a dream within a dream, kind of. So um, I think that was a movie. So here is application. Number one, when you encounter the word of God, make growth your goal. Make growth your goal. Now, let me be careful here. Our ultimate goal is to glorify God. Our ultimate goal is to know God. Our ultimate goal is to experience Christ through the gospel. These are our ultimate goals. But we will glorify God by knowing him and responding to him and being conformed to the image of Christ. It's when I'm conformed to be more like Jesus in my actual life by the grace of God that is bringing God glory. It's when I know the gospel, yes, 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 but when I walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, I am through that process glorifying God from glory to glory. I'm progressing on and on as I know him, as I meditate upon him, and as then I respond to the things that he is teaching me. Growth comes from hearing, and gro- uh, so make growth your goal. Now, what do I mean by that? Don't, um, don't make daily Bible reading your goal, but make daily Bible reading and applying what you read in the Bible your goal. So read, yes, or regular Bible reading or whatever. Maybe you're a brand new Christian, like daily Bible reading is overwhelming, so it's just starting with being a regular Bible reader, you know. Or maybe being a daily Bible reader of five minutes of reading. Maybe it's a very little bit. But, but don't just make Bible reading your goal, but make growing and maturing as you apply something that you learn to your lives. Or, or here's another one. Don't make attending church your goal. Don't, don't make staying awake during the sermon your goal. That, that's a good goal. That's probably a good starting place because you can't hear if you're asleep. But I'm sure the podcast, you'll catch it later. But, uh, so don't make attending or staying awake or being somewhat interested or even taking a lot of notes. Don't make that your goal. But make your goal hearing and applying something you learn from the sermon into your life. Make, because that means growth and response and glorifying God with my life becomes my goal. I want to hear the Lord so that I know him, and I want to respond to him that I may grow in him. So we hear and we respond, and that way we know and we grow. I want to grow in him. Why? So that I can bring glory to him. So that his work, the power of the gospel, is on display in my life in an increasing way, more and more and more over a lifetime. Even if my growth is slow, it's at least being, I'm moving towards him by his power. So we listen and apply for his glory. So expect, expect when you read the Bible for God to speak to you. Expect when you hear a sermon for God to speak to you. Yes. And then expect that you will have some way to respond to what he says. So my second point, and I'll be done here, my second application point on application. One is make growth your goal. And here's what I find. I'm going to share with you now some things that I find helpful. I'm not going to have a chapter and a verse on all of these. I do have a chapter and a verse on applying. That's where we are. But here's something that I have found particularly helpful for me. Make application simple. I'm a simple guy. Make application simple. So make growth your goal, and you can make growth your goal by hearing and doing, and do by making application simple. So when you encounter a text, here's my recommendation. When you encounter a text, don't don't look for 10 things to do. When you have a daily devotion, don't look for 10 things to do. Because I can assure you, there are 10 things you will not do. Don't look for five things to do. Don't look for three things to do. See, it's getting more manageable for us simple folk, right? Look for one thing to respond to. One thing. I love what David Pallison, a biblical counselor, says, is that uh, we take one piece of scripture and we apply it to one piece of life. Now, that's where life change happens. When I go, whoa, 10 things to do, I can't remember the 10 things uh, five minutes later. But, but try to attach one piece of scripture to one piece of life. When I preach, and Keith may be the same here, I, I will toss out a lot of different applications because I'm trying to hit different people who are at different points. So there's a high school student in the room. There's a married couple in the room. There's a widow in the room. Uh, there's someone uh, that's older uh, in the room. There, there's all kinds of people. There's the, the, those who work 
uh, in their own home. They, they work at home. There's those who work in the marketplace. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to toss out all kinds of things that will be relative to where people would be. But, but I, I, I'm not assuming that everyone will take every one of those applications and uh, apply them. So it, I like to think of it like this. If this is a meal, if your devotional time or this sermon is a meal, get a to-go bag. But just put one item in the to-go bag. Don't cram the potatoes or, or, and the chicken in there. And the, so just get one thing out of the meal and take that with you. Now, you may not know exactly what that is until you review some notes later or something. But try to take something with you that you can apply. I mean, ask questions like this. What is one thing I learned today? One way that God is calling me to trust him. I mean, let's say the sermon was on worry. I'm, something like worry. Don't walk out of here and say, man, i got to stop worrying and trusting God and then list 50 areas. Start with one area. I'm a parent who's worried about one of my children. Okay, let's address, let's go to God and ask for God's help, applying what I heard in the sermon right there. Let's start there. So what is one area where I'm trusting God in? Or what is one conversation God's calling me to have? I heard the sermon, I read the passage, uh, it was on reconciliation. What's one conversation God's calling me to have? Here's one person I need to talk to. So what's one conversation? What is one thing God's calling me to repent of? God's not going to dump on us 50 things to repent of because none of us could handle that. It would be overwhelming. He's going to convict us in an area and then give us grace for forgiveness and life change. So think about one area. What is one confession he's leading me to make? What, where's one thing? I, I need to go confess to someone what I did. What, what's one thing he's calling me to confess? What is one step I can take in reaching out to someone? So we sometimes hear something on evangelism, we're just like convicted. Man, I, I want the whole world to be saved. Yes, me too. We want everybody to be saved. So we walk out here with the, yes, I'm going to preach the gospel to the nations. And I walk out and don't speak to anybody. What is one person? Okay, I know. I, I, I get Matthew 28. I know. Take the gospel to the nations. Let's start with one. So identify one coworker and one thing you will do this week to build a relationship to either have a conversation, a spiritual conversation about faith, or to take a step. Invite them to Alpha. Have lunch with them. What, one thing. I'm going to get to know that one thing. So just write down one coworker and what's that thing I'm going to do this week. Instead of, it's the whole world, I mean, that's so broad. And that's my problem. I have all these great intentions, and I end up not doing anything because it's not defined. It's massive. It's the whole world. It's all my worries. It's all my fears. It's all my pride. I can't deal with all that. But the Lord can speak to me in one area, in one person, in, in one thing, and work in my life. What's one truth God is calling me to believe about him? That's application sometimes. Application doesn't mean that I just go do something always that you can just quantify, um, you know, really, really physically. Like I went and helped somebody move to serve them. That's really quantified physically, and I'm getting old, so it's really quantified the next morning when my back, when I wake up. That's quantified. I know what I did. Sometimes it's just believing a truth about God. God is sovereign, and I'm trusting him and his sovereignty to act in my life in this one specific way. But it's grasping that truth that he rules over all. So sometimes, what's the one thing God's calling me to believe about him? What's the one verse maybe he's calling me to memorize? Maybe I came out of here today, maybe my application is, I'm going to memorize this passage or this verse, verse 22. God's calling me to memorize that, meditate on that, and then apply that in my life as, as I think. As I come next Sunday to hear a sermon, I'm going to have memorized that verse, I'm going to have meditated on it, that's my application, and then next sermon, when I hear something, I'm going to look for my application to apply to my life when I walk out of here. What's ex one example God is calling me to emulate? Something like that. L let me give a word about note-taking as well, uh, and this is totally personal. I, I, I take notes. Uh, I think it's good to take notes. However, I would say this. I would rather, if I'm going to look at two kinds of notes, nobody needs to get a transcript of what I'm saying here. Okay, We don't need to. There will be no test at the end. Well, kind of there will before the Lord, but there we're not going to be. I'm not going to give you a test. We're not going to be, uh, you know, so I don't need every detail. So sometimes I can take six pages of notes and then file them away. 
as if that was the goal, to write down what the guy said. I think it's good to write down because the more senses you use, I typically, if I hear something and then I write it and I look at it, I'm going to grasp it better. So I think there's a value in that. But you know what? Six pages of sermon notes that go into a folder and are never thought about or applied, I'd rather have one sentence that I carry out with me and apply to my life because that's what this verse says. Six pages, I may think, man, I got it. I could quote back to you more because I wrote it down. I got it, but if it doesn't translate into life change, what am I doing? I'm deceiving myself. So I'm not saying don't take six pages of notes, but I'm saying from your six pages of notes, call out an application that God is calling you to make in your life and highlight that and carry that in your to-go bag so that you're asking God throughout the week to apply that to your life. So I think note-taking is helpful because it helps with concentration. I think taking notes on a phone can be helpful if you don't then get drawn to the Internet and to Facebook and all other kinds of stuff. So I say use a, use a phone carefully. Uh, but I think taking notes is valuable. Just make sure that we're doing it for the right purpose. The goal is not transcription. The goal is application. So that means I might have three sentences of notes, I might get the big ideas, uh, or I might get a, a lot of notes and just highlight the big idea in the application. So maybe that'll free some of you that you don't have to get everything down, and maybe it'll encourage some of you to start writing something down so you can carry it out with you on the way out. So shorter notes with a cap, uh, application are always better than profuse notes with no application. So be focused and clear, and then try to apply it personally to your life. Let me give you an example. I taught recently at our church a few months ago on Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible, so I didn't teach every verse of it, but it's massive if you've ever read it, and I gave this illustration. Many of you may have heard of Matthew Henry. He's a Bible commentator. There's the Matthew Henry commentary. Uh, A lot of people heard of Matthew Henry. Nobody's heard of Matthew Henry's dad, dad of Matthew Henry, but this is what he told his son when he was young. He said, if you take Psalm 119 and you read one verse a day, he read other Bible too, but you read one verse a day of Psalm 19 and you meditate on it, in a year you'll go through Psalm 19 twice. It's got so many verses that if you read a verse a day, you would only make it through that Psalm twice in a year. He said, if you will do that, you will develop a love for the Lord, of the word because every day you'll be meditating on some aspect that's glorious of the word. So I just threw out that illustration from Matthew Henry's dad. And it kind of worked for him because he wrote a Bible commentary that people are reading 400 years later. So there was some fruit to that counsel from his dad. So anyway, I said that. So I un, unannounced, I had three people in the week come to me and just tell me, Here, here's how I'm applying that. One guy says to me, here's how I'm applying. I'm taking Psalm 119, and every night at dinner, we're reading one verse to the family, and we're talking about it. And we're thinking, we probably won't do that every day, so I don't know that we'll get it twice in the year, but we will for sure in this year make it through that psalm every day with a thought. I said, well, that's, cre- that, there's your, that's a great application. Another guy came to me and said, I'm a nerd. I'm a geek, computer geek. And uh, so what I did is I set up this program. I don't even know, what it, I don't even know how it works. But every, every day when I open up my computer, ding, the next verse, the verse for the day. So I've got the verse from the day, Psalm 119. So one guy's doing his dad application over here. Another guy's doing his personal application. It dings and comes up to me every day. Another guy in our church is an incredible artist, uh, like, uh, like um, cart- he does cartoon kind of art. So he said, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking a verse a day, and I've got a big whiteboard, and I draw, I do artistic rendering of the verse, and I put it down so when the kids come down for school, they see it, and the verse is under it, and they get that. Okay, those are wildly different applications. We got dinner guy, we got computer geek, we got art guy, and they're all doing it in a different way. But it's what God spoke to them so that they would apply that scripture in their life uh, and and to serve others around them. I thought, that's brilliant. That's the idea. What is God speaking to me from the text? How is he calling me to, to, how does he want to change me through it? And how can I respond by grace, dependent on gospel power to help me hear, see, be convicted, and encouraged and changed by God's work in me, by the Spirit? Hearing and doing is the pathway to freedom. It is, it is a joy and not a burden when it is empowered by God's grace. So here's the question as we close. What is God calling you to do with what you heard from this text this morning? Here's what I want to close. Let's stand together, and we're going to close with a moment of reflective silence. Um, Because what I would like us to do is 
pause a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, what from this mess, from this passage, what's a one takeaway for me from this Sunday? What is one takeaway? Because this will change our lives. If we got something once a Sunday, let's say you came to church 48 times a year, you're regular, a couple times you're sick, a couple times you're on vacation, let's say you came 48 times, you'd have 48 meaningful applications in a year, we'd be radically different next year if God did that in us. So let's pause, and if you've got a pen and want to write down something, that's great. You want to pull out your phone and thumb something into your notes, that's great. Uh, But let's pause a minute and ask the Lord, what is one takeaway for me? And then I'll close us in prayer in just a moment. Lord, we want to thank you for the mercy today that you love us enough to lead us in truth and out of deception. And Lord, we can think really highly of ourselves sometimes because of what we know. And we just ask you to help us, Lord, that you would help us to apply what we know, to not merely gather information, but to grow in learning about you and then applying what you speak to our lives. I pray the things you've spoken to us today, you would give us grace to carry them out of the room. Lord, we, we, we believe the sermon really starts like right now uh, as we walk into our lives to the rest of our day and into our week. We pray, Lord, we don't pray for remembrance of every word said, but we pray for remembrance of the truth of this scripture and how you're speaking personally to each of us that you love and that you shepherd and that you care for and that you lead. Lord, lead us into application and lead us into growth. May we be those who look into your word and uh, see where we are, but then see the Savior and are led into freedom as you give us grace to repent and follow and believe and rest in your grace. So we simply pray today that we would be a people who would more and more, each of us, hear and do, hear and continue to hear and respond that we might be conformed more to the image of your son for your glory. Lord, we want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We want to steward well all that we've received. Lord, we want to respond. And I pray for anyone who would be discouraged with their own progress today, Lord, that you would just help us to turn and your mercies are new every morning. Give us a fresh start today. Give us the one thing you're going to work in our lives this week. And uh, Lord, give us great faith and joy in that. I pray across the room people would feel joy as they're seeing you work in small ways as we take steps in following you. So Lord, free us from crazy introspection. Lord, free us from comparison. Lord, free us from deception and lead us into the law of liberty, growth, and progress in joy in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Told you you'd be blessed. (laughs) And then blessing will just continue because that was just super, super helpful. Uh, I, I don't know if we... There's been a time in the history of man where simplicity was more needed. And so just that simple focal point. And Craig, Craig and I had dinner last night, and, and he was just trying to be an encouragement to me and ask me about how things were going with me. And I think he asked something about, you know, how can I, I pray for you? And, and the area I asked him to, to pray for was just a greater ability for me to, to focus uh, just because I feel like I'm, I'm in so many different directions and trying to manage so many different things that focus is is getting lost amongst a lot of noise and activity and and so I know that's true for all of us we've got so much background noise playing 
And so being able to focus and being able to take something and just take a week and, and meditate on that and find ways for it to get applied in our lives, I, I think will be so much more helpful and fruitful than uh, just trying to visit a thousand things as though the volume of that many things is really what's helping us. So uh, that's extremely helpful, Greg, and I know we'll get a lot of mileage out of it. It's great timing with Summer Bible Jam and what we're doing in engaging God in the Word, that you find something that you can extract and hold on to and take some time to live in it and find a point in life where it can show up in the routines of what we do and how we relate and take steps in those areas. So this is a, a wonderfully rich message for us at this time. Um, I want us to do this. I want us to pray for Craig. Um, Craig has the, the, he's got quite an exciting story, which I won't take time to to tell of just how the Lord has blessed them as a church in uh, North Dallas to be able to build a building and just, uh, just I'll give you a tidbit of what God's at work with here is uh, this guy in, in Texas, maybe Texans do this, this is a God thing though, just gave them land to build on. I'm like here, we, we, we heard you guys are doing something here and for the gospel and we want to give you this land. And this land is like in the town square of where this new development and this new area of growth in North Dallas is. Um, the name of their church is Grace Church. And there are two, street, two streets, right? That one goes in front of the building and one goes down the side of the building. Guess what the names of the streets are? Grace Church. <laughs> Is that stinking awesome or what? Uh, you know, or we have to actually discern God's leading over here. But, I mean, this is like God's leading for idiots or something in Dallas. It's like, Craig, can I, can I be any more obvious to you, dude? Here's some land, some grace, church. But uh, just amazing what God's doing. But they're entering into the building season now. And so for probably the next year, a whole new agenda grips the church, and you guys know that. It's just, it's a new season, and leaders with responsibilities all of a sudden are staring at blueprints. They used to stare at the Bible, now they're staring at blueprints, and like, what the heck does this mean? And uh, how much does that cost? Is that a good price? Should we even be doing this? And you're talking to a dozen people that you don't normally talk to, and oh my gosh, visits with attorneys are happening everywhere, and uh, it, it's going to be quite a season for them, and quite a time for them to focus and to give their attention there at home. And so, I want us to pray for Craig. I want us to pray for his team there uh, in uh, North Dallas. And, and then the days ahead, you guys remember, once you get located in an, at a permanent address, the community begins to take notice of you in a new way. And, and your church has new opportunities to build into the community and to relate to people and to share the gospel with folks that they never had a chance to before. Uh, it's a whole new agenda for training the people in the church to be outreach-oriented, et cetera. So... Um, so can we just join together for a moment, pray for Craig, and, and let that be in our hearts as the days ahead come and, and continue to pray for them. And Lord, thank you for an exciting story that, Lord, we remember our own chapters in this area. Lord, we remember the days when uh, there, were, there were financial opportunities put in front of the church, and we, and we all prayed and asked you, Lord, how... Can we participate, Lord? What kind of faith would you give to us as a family to figure out ways to contribute and to sacrifice and to be involved? Uh, Lord, we remember the days when we got to watch ground being broken and pilings being driven and cement being poured. And God, we just began to anticipate, Lord, what, what's in our future? What all are you doing in days ahead for us as a church? And, Lord, you begin to bring people. And, and, Lord, we're here today with all kinds of new folks that have come into our lives. And we've begun to build together with and share life together and share the gospel together and strengthen and encourage one another that we never even knew before. But, Lord, now they are near and dear to our lives and part of a family. And, Lord, we see those days coming for Grace Church. And, and so, Lord, we, because you have given us some experience there, we, we know that we can pray for them with awareness and with knowledge and insight. And so, God, we stir up our own souls this morning. Lord, I believe you're giving us a burden to pray for them in the coming year. Uh, Lord, to pray for Craig and the rest of the team there that uh, will be facing numerous responsibilities in new areas. Lord, a, a need for wise decisions uh, Lord, there are 
There are probably plenty of horror stories as well as celebration stories and building stuff. And so, Lord God, we pray for wisdom for the team, Lord, that as they look at situations and make decisions and move forward, uh, and all those who are serving them from contractors and uh, folks in city government, Lord, that your hand of favor would be upon their lives in this coming year. And Lord, that all who are sacrificing and giving and figure out ways to be involved in praying for the church, Lord, your hand of favor would be upon families. Lord, that appliances that were about to break will just get sustained, Lord, and cars that needed to be traded in will get another couple years out of them. Lord, and, and you'll bless guys in work with income and, and putting your hand on their lives in ways that brings provision into your household. And so, Lord, we look forward to years from now hearing about how you have reached into this community through this church and you've brought so many people to Christ and you've strengthened so many believers and disciples are being made. So Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to partner with this church. And so Lord, over the next year, would you just remind us, Lord, to be praying for them? Lord, we walk in our own building. Would you set a reminder that goes off in our hearts? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we got another church that we love is building something like this so that they can serve their community. God, awaken our hearts to do that. God, thank you. Lord, thank you for Craig and for his family and the sacrifices that he makes to be here with us and in so many other places. Uh, Lord, let that uh, be a means of blessing to him and to his children and to his wife and to all those at Grace Church. Lord, we're grateful for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. Have a great week.